You are listening to the Highland Baptist Church Network and the audio ministry of our church. Pastor Brian Calhoun has been going through the series Unashamed. Let's join Pastor Brian for today's message. Thank you, Micah and the worship team today. Thank you all so much for leading us in worship here uh, this morning. Brother Phil taking a little vacation time this week, so thank you all so much for doing that for us. Grafting. What is grafting? Well, grafting is the act of placing a portion of one plant into or onto the stem, root, or branch of another in such a way that a union will be formed and the partners will continue to grow. I've got a picture here for you of grafting. Let's see. Yes, right there. And so when you graft, you have what's called the stock at the bottom, and then you have the section above, and you take and you cut it down, and that's one way you can do. You can do it. Different. I forget. I studied this grafting thing just for a little bit this week. There's all kinds of different ways you can do it. I'm sure that Brother Charles Purvis knows about that. He's grafted several pecan trees at his place and peach trees and maybe some other stuff too. I know he's done several different grafting things. And maybe some others of you have done the same thing. But I learned a lot about how you can graft. This is one way that you can take and you can graft. You have just a section and then you have the stock. You prepare both of them and you put them together. Then you wrap them. And then before you know it, they both have a union together. They come together as one. And so this morning, that's what I want us to look at is how we, how all of us into God's family. We've been grafted into his family. So if you have your copy of God's word, find Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. And we're going to be looking at Verses 11 through 24 here this morning and see how we've been grafted into God's family. So Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 11, if you will stand with me in honor and reverence for the reliable and errant word. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy... Salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you, Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are of my flesh and save some of them. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from death? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand by faith. 
Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell. Severity, but toward you, goodness. And if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. Father, we come before you this morning, we thank you for what a privilege it is to be able to come into this place today and to be able to corporately worship you. And I pray this morning as we look at this text of scripture today, I pray that you would speak to our hearts through your spirit and through your word. And Lord, today I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, that I can preach your word with passion with conviction, without any reservation. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Now, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I kind of noticed it kind of divides into three sections. The first section I want us to look at is God's salvation. God's salvation. As you look at God's salvation, you will notice just some different aspects here. As we look down through this scripture, we will see some things about God's salvation. God's salvation. So, first of all, I want you to notice this here. Paul asks another question in which he wants a negative response. If I remember correctly from my study, this is the 10th time he's done that. And I think close to the last time. There may be one other time he does it. But he asks over and over again. He's he's very good at rhetorical questions, right? He's asking a question. He already kind of knows what the answer should be. And the first 10 times he's asked, he's expecting a negative answer. So here's what he says in verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? In the Greek, it literally means, did they stumble so that they fell? Did they stumble so they fell? The idea is this, have they fallen beyond recovery? Have they fallen to the point that they cannot get up? You remember that, uh, remember that commercial from years ago? They say, I've fallen, but I can't get up. Okay, that's what the image is here. I've fallen and I can't get up. It's beyond recovery. And so what Paul says is definitely not. He even says here, certainly not, or by no means, or may it never be. Depends on what translation you have. It's just saying, no, they did not. There is still hope for Israel. Israel's rejection is not final, is what he's saying. And so there's two divine purposes of Israel's stumbling. If you look here in verse 11 again, it's right there in the text. There's two reasons why. One is to make Israel jealous. That's the one reason. The second reason is to bring salvation to the Gentiles, to all of us. All of us in here that are not of Jewish descent. Like I said, I know we have um, at least one family that I know of for sure that, uh, that the husband or wife comes from a Jewish side. And so they would be what would be called a completed Jew because not only are they Jewish, but they're a Christian. And so they believed in Christ and they're also part of his chosen um, people, the Jewish people. Um, so, but 
The reason why the stumbling happened is to make Israel jealous, but also to bring salvation to all of us, to the Gentiles. Twice already, Paul turned away from unbelieving Jews and said, I'm going to preach now to the Gentiles since you're not believing it. So since you're not responding to it, I'm going to preach it to the Gentiles. Israel's rejection then is Gentile salvation. Israel's rejection is Gentile's salvation. Verse 12. My translation says, now if their fall, uh, a, a more literal translation is, is trespass. Fall is, is also a fine translation, but fall, trespass, it literally means, the word in the Greek means a false step. They've stepped in a false manner. Paul was convinced, though, that this fall was not permanent, but it was a temporary. And also, again, it says here, um, now if their fall is riches for the world, that's verse 12, the word for world in the Greek can have several different meanings, several different connotations, okay? So this one here actually means mankind. And it's fine to, to say that because mankind is not talking about just all men. What is it talking about? It's talking about men and women, all of mankind, all of humanity, okay? So this is talking about people and not the, and not the created world, not the, the dirt that we walk on, the trees that we see. It's not talking about that. It's talking about mankind, everyone. The fullness that Paul is writing about here is a fullness suggesting a large-scale conversion. Paul singled out the Gentiles, even saying that he is an apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, Look again what he says in verse 13. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. This was Paul's consistent statement. If you read his letters, they wrote to the different churches. Okay, this one he wrote to the church at Rome, and then he wrote to the church of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, okay? He wrote to the church at Thessalonica. So if you read these different places where he wrote to the churches, you will see he's pretty consistent. I'm just going to point out one, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8. He says, to me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. To preach that to the Gentiles. There he goes again. You know, I am a, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. Now, I'm going to take and just briefly talk a little bit about this. And that's this. One of my last... Uh, pastor's meetings I went to, we were talking about different things, and there's some people and uh, some churches that will talk about how I want someone who preaches Paul's gospel, preaches Paul's gospel. And what they mean by that is they don't believe that Jesus' gospel is for us today, but Paul's is. And they get it from these passages where he says he's a, he's a preacher to the Gentiles, the rea- or apostle to the Gentiles, preacher, apostle to the Gentiles. The reality is that right there, saying that we want only Paul's gospel, we want only to hear what he has to say, so if you send us a preacher, only send one that preaches that, that is heresy. That's not biblical. Matter of fact, how in the world did Paul get saved? He got saved by Jesus on the road to Damascus. And so Paul's gospel... I'm going to say should be, but it is. Should be Jesus' gospel. It is. It is his gospel. 
And so be very careful because people will take passages like this. Because Paul said over and over again, he's an apostle to the Gentiles. That doesn't make him the apostle. It doesn't make him, okay, he kind of completes what Jesus said. What heresy is that? And so please understand that when you hear that, they sound, they're very convincing too. Because most of them know their Bible pretty well. And they can point out things in the Bible and everything like that. And, and um Please understand that if anyone says that, that's a false gospel. That's not true. Paul would even Paul, you know, if he could do this, he'd roll over in his grave. If he heard people saying stuff like that. Let's move on. Because Israel rejected Christ, the gospel was taken to these Gentiles. In Scripture, reconciliation is a work of God in the death of Christ. I want you to listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. When a person comes to Christ by faith, God's work of reconciliation is appropriated to him, and he has fellowship with God, and the spiritual enmity is removed. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see, as you look at this passage of Scripture, as you read it, and as you study it, what you will notice is, that Paul's work and his, his heart's desire was that all would come to Christ. But what he said at this point is, hey, hey if the Jews aren't going to listen to me, I'll go to the Gentiles. I'll be a, I will go to them. I'm a, somebody is going to listen to what I have to say about Jesus. Israel's acceptance is related to the first resurrection. It's related to the first resurrection. I'm not going to go much into this. I could. But you can write down these scriptures if you would like to. They will not be on the screen. They're not, they're not really for the screen today. Um, but Revelation 20, verses 4 through 6, talks about the first resurrection. The resurrection of life in John 5, in verse 29. The resurrection of life. The first resurrection also includes the dead saints at the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Now, there's some people, I also would tell you, um, and this, look, end time stuff, I give grace to people. I give grace, but I don't like people who try to make fun if you believe in the rapture because rapture is not in the Bible. The word rapture is not in the Bible. Also, the word trinity is not in the Bible, so we shouldn't believe that because the word's not in the Bible. The concept is everywhere in the Bible. Matter of fact, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 makes it very clear we're going to be caught up with the Lord in the air. Meet him in the clouds. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. The first resurrection includes the dead saints at the rapture. But, you know, I want you to think about this. Let's think about when the rapture happens. And let's think about, you know, I pray that all of us are gone. Okay, I pray that. If we're still alive, I pray all of us are gone. But let's say we're not and we've been, and we've been buried. Think about those that are alive. And they haven't trusted Christ. And maybe they just happen to be at a graveside service. 
when the rapture happens. And all of these graves just opened up and people are gone. I'll tell you what, if I didn't know Jesus then, I'd be bowing my knee at that point and trusting Jesus. I hope and pray you know him now. I hope and pray that, that you don't say, well, I'll wait, I'll do it later on because we're not promised tomorrow. I pray you'll do it today. Get right with him today. But the first resurrection includes the dead saints at the rapture. And also, martyred great tribu- tribulation saints are raised at Christ's return. That comes from Revelation 20 and verse 4. Revelation 20 and verse 4. The martyred saints and the great tribulation saints we raised at Christ's return. And then believing Old Testament saints also. In Daniel 12, 1 through 2. You'll find that there, believing Old Testament saints. And then the second resurrection includes the wicked dead to be judged at the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20, verse 5, and also verses 12 and 13 of Revelation 20. Some will will make fun if you believe in the rapture and then, then the second coming and two resurrections and all that kind of stuff. Well, it's biblical. It's biblical. The Bible is very clear about that to me and my understanding. I'm not going to argue with someone about it. I'm not going to get in a a, a heated debate with them about it. And hopefully we can be kind to one another if you may disagree. But I believe it's pretty clear that's what's going to happen. You know, and when the rapture happens and you don't believe in it, then you can stay. But that's okay, you know. (laughs) The bottom line is this. God's family tree provides blessings to all those who are grafted in, who are connected to it. That's the bottom line. So God's salvation, Israel's rejection, then Gentile salvation. Now wants to notice God's foundation. God's foundation. Paul was convinced that Israel's fall was temporary and not permanent, and that the nation would be restored as God's people. He uses two illustrations here. Two illustrations. One of them is a cake. The other is a tree. Okay? And that's what he uses. And so where does he get this from? Where is Paul talking about this cake and this tree and all this? Well, well, Paul, once again, Paul was saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was the master of using object lessons. He, he, I'm, I'm sure he said, see the fields, they're white for the harvest. I'm sure they looked out there. It was either wheat, cotton, whatever grows right where he was. That's what he saw. He pointed out to him. He said, see the birds of the air? Birds probably flying overhead. And he said, see the birds over here? They don't worry. They don't to- toil. They don't spin. They don't do all this kind of stuff. They don't worry about things. And God provides for them. How much greater are you? And so Paul knew that how Jesus taught. He may not have agreed with it at the time because, once again, he was against Christ at one point. And so, but he knew how he taught, he knew what he did. And so Paul used this imagery here of the cake. It comes from Numbers 15 and verse 20. You shall offer up a cake of the first of your ground meal as a heave offering. As a heave offering on the threshing floor, so you shall offer it. That makes it really clear, doesn't it? What he's trying to talk about. I'm going to try to help, hopefully clear it up a little bit, what he's talking about, the cake here. The cake made from the first ground meal to present as an offering to God, and it was repeated over and over again. If the part offered as first fruits was holy, then the whole batch is holy. And so that was put, put, that's one part Paul was trying to get across here. That part of it's holy, the whole thing's holy. 
Number two, use that of a tree. Talked about the illustration of a tree. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If both illustration, in both these illustrations here, Paul uses the principle the same. The same principle. What is considered first contributes to the character to what it is related to. And so, Brother Brian, if you don't mind putting that picture back up, if you can, if you can get to it quickly. If you can't, that's okay. And then we'll talk about it in just a second. With a tree, the root obviously comes first. And it contributes to the nature of that type of tree, to the branches that come later. With the cake presented to the Lord, the flour for the cake is formed and baked first and presented as a first fruit. Since it is set apart to the Lord first, it sanctifies the whole harvest. The first fruits and the root represent the patriarchs. The first fruits... And the root represent the patriarchs, Abraham personally. And the lump and the branches represent the people of Israel. So as a result, Israel set apart, they are holy to God. And her stumbling, the rejection of Christ, must therefore be temporary. The root of the tree is the source of life and it feeds the branches. The root of the tree... The bottom part, the root of the tree, is a source of life, and it feeds all of the branches. Remember what Jesus said over in John 15? I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me will bear much fruit. The interesting thing about that is this. If the branch is separated from the vine, what happens to the branch? It dies. If the branch is separated from the root, what happens? It dies. Same thing. You have to be attached to the root. The foundation is faith in Jesus Christ. He is our foundation. He is our cornerstone. Whatever imagery you want to use, he is our root. And you must be connected to him or you are dead. You've got to be connected to Jesus. In verse 17, Paul literally said, you have become a co-partner of the root of the fatness of the olive. A co-partner. I, I, I love that. Just like that picture, you have the, what they call, they call it the bud or the scion, I believe, that you put down into the stock, into the root, right? And so when you put it down in there, you're becoming one with it. The wild olive, he talks about here about wild olives. The wild olive branch is put into the natural olive branch. And guess what? It gleams from the fatness of the true olive, the natural olive, even though it's a wild olive. That's a beautiful picture of what it means for all of God's children to be in Christ. Jews and Gentiles like to be in him. The Jews, his chosen people. They have been grafted in. We have been grafted in to the Lord Jesus Christ, into him. Even though Gentiles have been blessed, that is no reason to boast unless you're boasting in the Lord. You see, I guess some of them started boasting then. Well, hey, you know, we have been accepted by Christ. We're in Christ's family. And they said there's no reason to boast because if you weren't attached to the root, there'd be no life in you. That's really what Paul is, you know, saying here. Since they were like a wild olive shoot grafted to a regular cultivated olive tree, they were indebted to Israel, not Israel to them. 
So Jesus says this over in John 4, 22. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Jesus says it. Paul says it in a different way, but the same thing. He's using an illustration of uh, roots and trees and cakes and flour and all that. Saying the same thing. God's salvation is for everyone. God's foundation is faith in Jesus Christ. And now let's look at God's implantation. God's implantation. The real reason that the branches were broken off were for unbelief. Let's look down here again. Verse 20. Let's begin verse 19. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. The reason why they were broken off was because of unbelief. Now, please understand. They were broken off for unbelief. This has nothing to do with you have your salvation, then you lose your salvation. Nothing to do with that. They never believed in the first place. They, 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 they were broken off because of unbelief. Unbelief. Not because they even believed. Listen to Hebrews 3.19. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Because of unbelief. Paul's summary of God's sovereign choice. First of all, putting aside Israel temporarily. He, he, he says that over again. It's a temporary thing. A temporary thing. It's not going to be final. And then preaching righteousness by faith to everyone. Righteousness by faith preached to everyone. If God is righteous in temporarily putting aside Israel as a whole for unbelief. He certainly could put aside the Gentiles for boasting and haughtiness. Notice here what he says in verse 22. It's kind of a curious statement, isn't it? If you look at verse 22 with me, it's kind of curious. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. Just stop right there. The goodness and severity of God. God's goodness. The connotation of this word goodness is benevolence in action, actually doing something. What's so neat is I'll have people uh, talk to me and tell me, hey, um, I'm trying to get stuff together. I want to put a homeless bag together, and they want to do something. That's benevolence in action. Or, hey, you know, I heard about so-and-so. I want to see if I can do something for them. And we're in the South. Can I bring them a meal, right? That's what we always do. Can I bring them a meal to to give them some comfort? Maybe from a surgeon, maybe a loss of a loved one, but, man, we want to give a meal to somebody or whatever. That's what this God's goodness is. It's benevolence in action. It's doing something in action. Not just saying you're going to do it. It's doing it. So God's goodness is benevolence in action. It's spoken of God again in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians 2 verse 7 it says, That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God's goodness. Number two, God's severity. God's severity. The word suggests sternness and even harshness. Paul wrote about this in reference to himself in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 10. Therefore, I write these things, being absent, thus being present, I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. I want you to, to, to listen to this. We hear God's goodness and God's severity. It doesn't seem like they go together. Why does it not seem like they go together? Well, I think there's probably several reasons. I'll point out one big one. Is 
when you hear a lot of, not all of them, uh, uh, there, are, there are some very good ones out there. When you hear preachers on television, all they want to talk about is what? God's goodness, God's goodness, God's goodness, God's goodness. And God is good. I mean, he is good. But also, God's severity. How do we know this is true? Well, first of all, it's in the Bible. But also, any good parent knows what you're talking about. God's goodness, you want to be good to your children, but sometimes you have to be stern with your children, right? You sometimes have to be harsh with your children. You can be good to them, but sometimes you have to be stern. The olive tree here that Paul keeps referencing is not the church. It is the spiritual stock of Abraham. Okay, I have to understand that. Remember again the picture of the stock, the stock. Believing Gentiles are included in that sphere of blessing so that in the church age, both Jews and Gentiles are in Christ's body. We find that in Ephesians 2, Ephesians 3. Someday, as a whole, will return to Christ or turn to Christ. Now, listen very closely. This, this passage does not teach that the national promises to Israel have been abrogated. They've been done away with. And are now being fulfilled by the church. That idea is taught among some that are called millenarians. Okay, what in the world is that? You know about the millennium, right? The millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ. There are those that are premillennial. I am. And probably most of you, I would assume, are premillennial. There are those that are postmillennial. That happened, matter of fact, after World War I, but before World War II, a lot of people were post-millennial, but then after that, they weren't anymore because post-millennial says it's going to get better till the end, and when World War II happened, that kind of shot that in the foot. They just didn't agree with that anymore, but there's still some that are post-millennial. And then there's amillennial. Anytime you take and put, they call it the Greek alpha privative, which just means put an A on it at the beginning, a, millennial, means no millennium. In a literal sense. They don't believe in a literal thousand year reign. They believe we're, we're living in the millennium right now. And so those would actually believe that this here says that now uh, that there's been a replacement here. And that the Jews are no longer. They've been replaced by us. That is a foreign idea to Paul. And what he's trying to say. Um, while believing Gentiles share in the blessing of Abraham's covenant, as Abraham's spiritual children, they do not permanently replace Israel as the heirs of God's promises. Why is that so important? Because it means God's promise has failed. Right? I mean, if you believe that, you would say God's promise has failed in that point, and God's promise has not failed. That's why this whole section here, verse 11 through 24, what Paul's trying to say is God's promises have not failed. His people are not completely rejected. Their rejection is not final. There's still hope for them. And guess what? He even said that he was one of the big reasons why there's still hope for them, because he was in the Jewish camp, and he was totally against Christ, and God gloriously saved him, and he's still saving Jews and Gentiles today. Still saving them. Turn to God and the veil is removed. Turn to God and the veil is removed. God's family tree provides blessings to all those who are grafted, who are connected to it. 2 Corinthians 3.16, Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Romans 10.13, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And today I just want to say this to everyone here. If you have never trusted in Christ yourself, the Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. If you've never trusted on him yourself, today is the day of salvation. Today you can trust in him. The Bible says whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you can be saved today, right now, right where you are. And so if you would like to do that in just a moment, in just a moment, I'll have everybody stand, everybody probably with heads bowed, eyes closed, and I'll lead you in a prayer. And it's not because there's anything like, there's nothing like magical. Okay, I hate, I hate using that term, but there's nothing magical about the prayer. I want you to understand that. Whenever you say this prayer to the Lord, and you mean it from your soul, the depth of your being, to God's, that's where the change happens. That's where the power comes from. It's not from the words themselves. As a matter of fact, I don't say the same words every week. And so it has nothing to do with the words. It has everything to do with the position of your heart and the position of your soul toward God. And so if today, if you believe that verse, Romans 10, 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, and you've not done that yet, you've not trusted in him today, why not just do it today? Why not ask him to come and be a part of your life today. I say, everyone, please stand with your heads bowed, eyes closed. No one looking around. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Today you're here and you've never trusted in Christ for your salvation. The Bible says in Acts chapter 16, I believe it's verse 31, but it's in Acts 16 for sure. It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So in reality, right now, anytime in this service you could have, anytime after this service you can, all you have to do is believe on Jesus. Just place your entire faith and trust in him and he will save you. And so if right now that's what you want, then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. The prayer that I pray, you can pray it out loud. Or you can pray it silently. It doesn't matter if your neighbor hears you. It matters if the Lord hears you. And so if right now today the words that I'm about to say in this prayer express what's going on in your soul. And you know you need to do it. Then I want you to repeat it from the depth of your being. We like to say from your heart. But from the depth of your being to God's right now. Just say these words. Dear Jesus, I realize that I need you. I realize that I am one of those people that need to trust in you. I place my belief in you, Jesus, today. I ask for you to save me. Come into my life and be the most integral part of my life today, Jesus. Thank you so much for saving me. Help me to live for you from this day forward. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You have just heard a message from God's Word. 
And now it's your chance to respond. What is God calling you to do in response to today's message? Let us know by going to hbcmolino.com forward slash life. We'd love to connect with you. Thanks for joining us today on the Highland Network. Enjoy your day.